Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. To help you succeed in your field, from behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Marina, New Zealand, uh, good morning to you on this uh, Thursday morning. I'm operating uh, off my cell phone here in the studio because uh, we've had uh, yet another power cut in Hawke's Bay. So the boys uh, up there in Auckland are working furiously to get uh, the studio up and going. In fact, I might be able to hear it in my ear now. Yeah, I can, but uh, I can hear myself. I'll just continue off the phone anyway while we uh, set up the show for today. Uh, and that's um, including we're going to talk to Nisbo very shortly, Grant Nisbet. Of course, he'll be calling Super Rugby this weekend, which kicks off. Uh, and then we're going to talk uh, a little bit about a, a fund that's being set up and a, um, a movement being set up to, from football point of view to uh, enable kids to uh, get some gear through the areas which have been affected uh, terribly by uh, the cyclone Danielle. Um, we'll also have a multi for you just before 10 o'clock, a panel with Sam Ackerman and Ricardo Ball uh, after 10. Uh, we'll talk to Maya Jackman, football fan legend, of course, um, they're playing Argentina tonight at North Harbour. Uh, and they desperately need, desperately need a win uh, to get their confidence going. They haven't won in 11 years. 11 years on New Zealand soil. Can you believe that? After 11 o'clock, uh, we'll talk to one of my great old uh, sparring partners in Ken Rutherford. These days uh, based in Australia, but uh, he watches a lot of cricket here in New Zealand. And, of course, uh, being uh, in Australia, he's uh, kept a close eye on what's happening in India as well. So that's what we've got in store for the show today. We've got uh, a stump smithy as well. Um, and, of course, we'll hand over to Staffy around about uh, midday today. Are you got? Are you there, Smithy? Have we got you, mate? I don't know if Smithy can see me. We're having a few issues, obviously, with his power at the moment uh, in the Hawks Bay. But uh, we've got uh, Grant Nisbet there with us, I believe. We got Nisbo there. Nisbo is there. G'day, Nisbo. How you doing? 
Ricardo, how are you, mate? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Sorry, just uh, juggling a few things. About 10 minutes before we went to air, Smithy had a power cut. Um, we've got him back up. I can see him on the thing, but he can't seem to hear me at the moment. So we'll get, uh, we'll get the boffins to work on that. Um, and in the meantime, uh, we'll we'll have a bit of a chat about the uh, Super Rugby, mate. How, how fizzed are you about uh, tomorrow night? That Crusaders-Chiefs game uh, look probably, on paper at least, the, uh, the two deepest teams in the comp. Yeah, look, it's a blockbuster to start, isn't it? It really is. And uh, so many All Blacks running around. It's it's going to be exciting, actually. Um, not too many new faces uh, in either side, really. Um, pretty much same old, same old. But as you say, some real depth in both teams and a, and a great way to kick off the competition. Fantastic, mate. Um, I mean, looking at it at the moment, I, I've been doing the Super Rugby shows um, on on the uh, on SCNZ where we've had uh, a different show for each of the different franchises this week. And, and looking at it, I mean, they do look the two best. I think um, maybe the Blues have gone backwards slightly, or the Chiefs have just overtaken. How, how are you seeing things? Yeah, I don't know whether the Blues have gone backwards. I mean, when you look at the players they have lost, um, I think probably the only really significant ones are Kao Tuunukaafi, um, maybe Luke Romano, who's, he's retired, of course. Um, and, but they've got Patrick Tuipilotu back, and um, I think they're looking probably as good, if not slightly better, than what they were last year. Uh, another year to settle in, I suppose. So I wouldn't be writing the Blues off just yet. I always look at the Chiefs and, and think there's enormous depth in the Chiefs, and I think there is again this year, and the team they're putting out tomorrow night is a very, very strong one. The Hurricanes, uh, uh, it's hard to know with the Hurricanes. They they come and they go a wee bit, but uh, they're, they're tough to beat on their day. We all know that. They start in Brisbane this week. Uh, Crusaders, well, they're just the Crusaders, aren't they, really? And there's been some big changes down at the Highlanders, mainly in the in the coaching area, and I look, they, it looked as, as though they beefed up their squad as well. So let's go. I, I think all five New Zealand franchises, uh, given that all we've seen are pre-season games, but I think all five New Zealand franchises are looking pretty damn good at this early stage. Nitsbo, can you hear me? It's Smithy here. G'day, Smithy. How are you, mate? Yeah, finally, uh, having power cuts and all sorts of things up here in Hawke's Bay at the moment, but never mind. Uh, which one are you calling? Can I focus in on the one you're calling this weekend? Well, I'm actually doing two, Smithy. I'm doing uh, Friday night, Chiefs and uh, and the Crusaders. Then I'm down to Dunedin on Saturday night to do the, the Highlanders against the Blues. So uh, I'll be able to see four of the five New Zealand franchises in action. Well, that's excellent. Uh, and this, I looked at uh, the Crusaders' chief sides when they came out, and I thought to myself, oh, here we go again, the Crusaders. And then as I, I just heard you talking about, I look at that Chiefs pack, and there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that Chiefs pack. Uh, they could uh, cause some early issues for Razors boys. Yeah, I agree, absolutely. The interesting call is uh, Peter Gus Sawakula playing at number six rather than number eight. Luke Jacobson uh, playing at eight, which uh, they prefer him there, and so it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. But um, Sam Kane appears to be fit again. Uh, Brody Retallick, you put Kane and Retallick in any pack, and they're not bad, are they? And then you get Tokiaho, obviously, who's... Uh, Nowadays, the number one hooker in the country, and I think you're right. I think there'll, there'll be some absolutely magnificent matchups, uh, and, and and they're not a bad backline either. The interesting call for the Chiefs, uh, Smithy, is is playing Damian McKenzie at uh, ten. There's been a lot of speculation around about where he will play, and I'd imagine they'll play him at fullback on occasions. But starting him off at ten is um, is is going to be really 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 interesting up against Richie Moanga.
Yeah, I, I agree. I think that'll depend on if there's anyone in pack gets dominance, who, who will run the game from that point of view. But uh, Mackenzie at 10 certainly exciting. It also features uh, tomorrow night the return of Joe Moody, who I'm sure the All Black selectors are very, very happy to see back fully fit. And Jack Goodhue, but no Sam Whitelock. No Sam Whitelock, no. Uh, but, they, you know, they've got depth to cover, haven't they? Uh, when you can put uh, Mitchell Dunche in there, uh, to partner Scott Barrett in the middle row. But you're right, there'll be a lot of interest around both Moody and Goodyear, whose seasons last year were completely ruined uh, by injury. Uh, there is still uh, there's still uh, room for both in the All Blacks, uh, certainly in the All Blacks squad, whether you could argue they're in the top 15 at the moment, but there's never opportunity to play your way in. I think the number one loosehead prop in the country at the moment is Ethan De Groot, and so Moody's going to have to work hard. And, of course, the midfield, where Goodhue is either 12 or 13, um, you've got uh, the likes of uh, Geordie Barrett and uh, Akira Ioane, at least uh, Rico Ioane. So um, they're both going to have to work really hard, but it'll be great to see them back on the park. Well, nice, uh, nice uh, I, I guess, match-up for uh, Clark Dermody as uh, first-up head coach for the Highlanders, a, a pretty new-look coaching team down there as well to take over after the Tony Brown era. Yes, it is. Uh, they've, made, they've made quite a few changes, haven't they, down there in, uh, in Dunedin, uh, particularly on the coaching staff, as you say. And uh, dermody has been around a while, so it's not as if he's a new boy on the block. Um, but, you know, they've, they've, they've lost a, f- a few players, um, but they've gained a few as well. And I, I think uh, the Highlanders might just be sneaking under the radar, as they often do, and um, they'll welcome the Blues down there because the Blues are always um, well and truly hyped up, of course, coming from the biggest city in New Zealand. And uh, the speculation around them and the anticipation around them is always higher than perhaps for most other teams. But the Highlanders are a sort of team who uh, just roll their sleeves up. They've done it uh, since the inception of Super Rugby and get on with the job. And there's uh, plenty of experience around there. They're not going to have Aaron Smith for the first couple of weeks, uh, which is an interesting call. But uh, I'm sure they'll have that uh, that covered with uh, Falau Fakatava, and um, they'll be it'll be a hell of a match up that one. It'd be interesting too um, the the match up in the tens uh, for me because uh, of course they've signed Freddie Burns from Leicester. Um, but who who do you foresee now fulfilling the pivot role for both of those sides uh, going into the early games in the season? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think Bowden Barrett certainly will play uh, 10 or should play 10 for the Blues. I, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be playing 10 for the Blues. Um, and so uh, I'm expecting him to be there straight away. I'd, I'd imagine they'll go with Mitch Hunt early on and, and just let Freddie Burns ease his way into the uh, into the competition. Uh, those teams haven't been named as yet, but I'd be, mm. I'd be surprised if it wasn't Bowden Barrett for the Blues and I'd be surprised if it wasn't Mitch Hunt for... Uh, for the Highlanders. Right, OK, uh, your Hurricanes um, have got a tough one. They uh, are on the road early on in the piece under Jason Holland, of course, the Reds with Brad Thorne. Um, and uh, of interest to me is um, how they're going to do without TJ Peronata and how they're going to fill the number 10 role because they've got injuries there early on. Yeah, they have. Um, I think, I think the, well, Brett Cameron's out at the moment and, and I think also uh, Ribbon Love is out, so... It leaves Aidan Morgan, the young 21-year-old. There's not much of him, but he's a pretty talented sort of a player. So they'll certainly have to go with him in the, in the early weeks of the competition until the other guys recover and become available. Uh, TJ Pedernara, um, I think they're reasonably well covered there.
Jimmy Booth is an experienced player, uh, played around a month or two for a long time, and of course in now North Harbour. And Cam Roygaard, I think, is a real comer in New Zealand rugby ranks. I think that might be a name that you'll see uh, edging up towards higher honours as uh, as we move on, not maybe this year, but in in the years to come. A really impressive um, young guy, quite a quite a tall halfback from County's Manukau. Played a wee bit last year. I think Cam Roygaard is a name to keep uh, a, a real eye on, and so. They'll have to cover until those other experienced players come back. Really looking forward to seeing how Peter Larkai goes first season in the Hurricanes uh, if he gets uh, to play alongside Artie Savrier on a regular basis. Yeah, look, he, he's a really promising player, a, a very humble young guy too, and uh, he, he, won't, he won't be too big-headed about uh, his success last year when he was rampant through the, uh, the provincial competition. Uh, whether they use him on a regular basis or whether he'll be used as sort of as an apprentice, it'll be interesting to see because um, I'd imagine Adi Savia will play eight, uh, which of course is the exact position that Peter Lackey played for for Wellington in the provincial championship. Um, Adi Savia appears to be the preferred number eight in the All Blacks these uh, these days, and therefore. Uh, they, they'll probably play him there in Super Rugby as well because you've got uh, Duplessis Karifi, of course, who had a terrific provincial mm. season. He'll play at seven, and there's any number of players who can play at six. So, look, I think uh, Lakai, uh, he'll, he'll see some game time this year, but I don't think you'll see him starting too often when Salvi is available. Uh, an opportunity to see um, some of these Australian uh, franchises too. Nisbo first up, of course, they don't have to impress uh, Dave Rennie anymore. They have to impress uh, Eddie Jones, some of these players. Uh, just had a, a brief look at uh, some of the squads, and I don't see a lot different over there. No, well, I mean, that's probably because there's not the depth in Australian rugby as what we have in New Zealand, obviously. Uh, I think that the, the perennial team to watch are the Brumbies. Uh, they just seem to front up year in, year out. They always appear to be the toughest Australian team for New Zealand teams to put away. And um, so I'm expecting the Brumbies to be strong. They've got a first-up game against the Waratahs. Now, that's always a great clash because when Super Rugby was first uh, put in place back in 1996, the Brumbies were basically um, the, the, the offcasts, if you like, from the Waratahs, the blokes who uh, couldn't quite make it in Sydney, so they shot down to Canberra. Blokes like George Cregan and company, who finished up being the greats of Australian rugby. But um, So there's no love, love lost at all between the Waratahs and the Brumbies, that's for sure. But I'm expecting the Brumbies to be there. Uh, Brad Thorne is at the helm of the Reds once again this year, and they're always there or thereabouts, and the Waratahs. I'm not sure that you could say the Force um, or the Rebels uh, championship contender. So of the three Australian teams, I think the Brumbies once again, Smithy, will be the team to watch. There's a tasty clash at Mount Smart uh, Saturday afternoon at 4.35. I mean, there's four games in a row. It's a veritable feast on uh, Saturday. Moana Pacifica, Fiji and Drua. That'll be interesting and very physical, I'd imagine. Yeah, look, it will be, absolutely. Uh, there'll be a lot of passion around, and I'd, I'd expect a good crowd there too. And, uh, you know, both teams had promising um, moments in their first season. Uh, Moana Pacifica, of course, managed to knock off the Brumbies in their first uh, in their first season, which was fantastic. And the Fiji Drill were, were very good, particularly at home, and um, I think we'll see them playing a lot more home games this year. So, look, that really is uh, one to look forward to, and you're right, it's... it's, it's uh, it's going to be hard to get off the couch this weekend, isn't it? 
<laughs> it is, except for those that have to work. Uh, Nisbo, you um, obviously you have a briefing um, at uh, within the commentary group, etc. And uh, you sometimes talk to the referees uh, early in the season, and they t- tend to say things that they might be looking for this year, or little changes in rules, etc. Is there anything for us as spectators to look at this time round? What they're aiming for? Yeah, look, there's a little bit of tweaking around, uh, Smithy, and, and it, it's all about speeding the game up. And, and so they've put those time limits on, haven't they, with 90 seconds for conversions, uh, 60 seconds for uh, penalties. Um, you won't see too many red cards handed out uh, this year, Smithy. What they're going to do is they're probably going to issue yellow cards and give uh, the TMO eight minutes to decide whether it stays at yellow or deserves to be red. So you won't see any straight reds. Uh, that'll be most unusual. Um, and the other one is, is just a small tweak around the scrums, where the uh, where the scrum half or the or the halfback putting the ball in isn't allowed to invade into opposition territory. You can't go past um, you know the gap in the scrum the ball's put in. So there's none of this business of you know, the ball going to the back of the scrum and the opposing halfback sticking out an arm and all this sort of stuff. So all these things are just really being instilled into uh, into the game to speed it up a little, which I think which I think is all very positive. So let's sit back and 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 hopefully it's all uh, it all works out well. Without halfback interference, does that mean we might see a little bit more of the old-fashioned New Zealand rugby of a number eight coming off the back and making serious yardage? Yeah, absolutely. And you can imagine a guy like Artie Salvia with his extreme pace being able to make a, a, a really good dash of 10 or 15 metres before he actually engages the opposition. And it also means the defending halfback will have to make a decision about which side he defends on because there's no point in hanging around the scrum. Uh, he may as well become another defender. And so um, I, I think you're right. I think we are going to see the number eight running along with it. Right, uh, just finally, Nisbo, before we let you go, I, I imagine um, Ian Foster's had a guts full of it. He said, uh, said as much during the week. This all-black coaching saga, I, I, I've, I, I keep looking at it and I keep thinking about it and I keep saying to myself, how can you have, have appointed a, a guy to do a job um, but you're looking for his replacement before he's even proven whether he can do the job or not? What if he wins the World Cup? What if he goes through the season unbeaten and they've appointed someone in the meantime. Yeah, I'm of use, Smithy, absolutely. I, th- I think it's a disgrace what's going on at the moment, quite frankly. And everybody needs to pull their heads in and let Ian Foster get on with it. He's taking us to the World Cup. That's that's it, full stop. And let's worry about after the World Cup. Uh, you're dead right. If he wins the World Cup, what happens? If he wants to carry on and wins the World Cup, why wouldn't he carry on? So I'm absolutely with you on this one. And I think the NZA, you've got to come out strongly and say we'll make a decision after the World Cup. There's no point. I know they're nervous about where uh, certain other uh, coaches might end up, but that's just bad luck. There'll always somebody, there'll always be somebody holding their hand up to coach the All Blacks. Don't worry about that. Well, uh, we've uh, had. A, I mean, it's not like Scott Robertson's the first cab off the rank. There, we've had a lot of coaches who have probably been worthy of an All Black uh, post over the years have gone um, and may come back at some stage. It's just a fact of the job you're working, surely. Yeah, look at all the New Zealand rugby coaches around the world, um, you know, because they can't get a job here in Super Rugby, so they all head off uh, and, and do really well. Um, I mean, there's some classic examples. I mean, look at Joe Smith. He, could, he, he couldn't get a top job here, so if he goes to Ireland, makes his name there, he's finally back here. Uh, who's to say Joe Smith might want to hold his hand up at the end of uh, next season and say, um, you know, I'm pretty keen? Who's to know? Um, I think we should just sit down 
support the All Blacks, uh, mm-hmm. select the coaching team, uh, support the coaching team, get on with it, hopefully win the World Cup and then make a decision. Good on you, Nisbo. Now, now I'm ready for the rugby season. I hear you back in form. I, I hear you ready. <laughs> Good on you, Smithy. <laughs> Cheers, man. Thanks for your time, Nisbo. Have a great uh, call, uh, two calls this weekend. Look forward to it. Thank you, man. Cheers. Cheers, uh, Grant Nisbet there, of course, with his uh, thoughts there. Very strong ones, too, and uh, I'm totally in agreement with him. Uh, we've, uh, over the years, shared a few thoughts on the car, in the car on the way to the ground on the way home and uh, maybe over a beverage or two after the game. And generally speaking, um, people with, uh, you know, uh, old-fashioned, old I guess, old-fashioned sort of uh, work ethics and principles are along the line of you appoint a guy to do a job, let him do it. Let him do the job. If he fails doing the job, so be it. But if he wins... How much egg are you going to have on your face if he goes through unbeaten uh, and wins, which is, it's his, what, what do you call it these days, those, those terms, um, KPI, KPI, job, win the World Cup, retain the trophies, win the World Cup. He does that. Interesting. Uh, and I seriously hope he does, because uh, if he does that, New Zealand rugby is going to have a bumper year, and we all are too. 9.23 here on SCNZ. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, interesting text uh, come in from Caroline. In fact, Ricardo and I were just talking off air about exactly the same thing, uh, Caroline. And uh, you said, I have to disagree with Nispo. That's fine. Uh, There aren't an unlimited number of quality coaches lining up to coach the All Blacks. That is what the NZR found out last time. And we ended up with the dregs being foster. Uh, They were so arrogant as to invite coaches they wanted to apply rather than just accepting all applications. The current situation is not ideal. But I think New Zealand rugby have. Uh, I think the New Zealand rugby have been uh, there to ho- hoist their own petard. So there you go, Carolyn. Um, and Ricardo agrees. Absolutely agrees with you. Uh, and uh, I, I, I do to a certain extent as well. There are. Um, I mean, if we look at Jamie Joseph along with Tony Brown as a combo, um, we look at uh, Scott Robertson quite clearly. How many do you need uh, applicants? How many? How many options do you need? Uh, Dave Rennie, I suppose, now is a possibility. A, a late come in there, Ricardo. How many do you need to make a to make it a healthy contest? Well, I think you need at least two or three, don't you? I mean, th- that was the problem last time. I mean, probably more than that, even um, because they left it so late. As Carolyn said, you know, it's, it's like you left with the dented te- uh, the the dented tin of beans on the shelf. You don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. It's, it's 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 the last thing left. And and I think the other thing from an employer's point of view, Smithy, if if you don't have any other options. Then all of a sudden, whoever the incoming coach is going to be is dictating terms to you because you don't have anywhere else to go. I think also uh, New Zealand rugby, uh, whilst they'll seek guidance from people around, they have to make their own decision. I mean, they can't be influenced. I think clearly they were influenced uh, by St- uh, Sir Steve Hansen. Mm. Uh, he, you know, hotly recommending uh, Ian Foster to take over from him. Um, and of course, you know, I think they listened to that. They, they, they seriously uh, gave that some consideration in that appointment. Yeah, and I think the boot room idea, you know, we saw, I, I always get equated back to Liverpool, but Liverpool did that, right? They had the thing of the boot room, and basically every manager for about four managers in a row came out of that boot room, was part of it. But at the end of the last World Cup cycle, it felt to me that Ian Foster's, they need, they not so much on Fozzie, but they needed a fresh voice because he had been part of the mix for so long. It was, it, it felt tired. 
and the thinking felt mm. tired and they needed something fresh and they didn't get it. Yeah, interesting. I'll tell you what though, um, because uh, he's the people's choice, um, Razor Robertson, if he does get the job whenever, be it uh, next week, next month or next year, uh, he's going to be in a lot of pressure because uh, this debate is uh, so polarising. Um, there's a lot of people that aren't Razor Robertson fans who are just sitting waiting and if it doesn't go well for Razor, and he's going to have to replace a lot of um, experience because we know that's going at the end of the World Cup, it's not going to be an easy gig if he gets it first up. A lot of pressure, as there always is with the all-black coach, but expectation because a lot of people perceive him as being boy wonder as such. Um, other people perceive him being the guy that's had all the talent to coach over the period of time um, and has coached it very well. But, but you know, when, when you uh, are brought back to the field, um, how do you look? So, I mean, there's always that, I, I guess, when you're looking at coaches and their performance. Great uh, topic for debate, though. Double eight, double three. Uh, c- keep coming in with uh, your suggestions there or your thoughts on um, what Nisbo said. Um, just let him do the job and uh, appoint afterwards. Let's see what the end result is. Uh, 9.32 uh, here on SENZ. Uh, we're going to go to the news with uh, Haraha, and when we come back, we're going to talk to a very interesting man with a very interesting name called Jim McAgorn. Well, it's 9.34 on SCNZ, and uh, when you have uh, tragedies um, and uh, cyclones, etc., and paths of uh, devastation, you always get um, New Zealanders in particular, because uh, they're so familiar to us, uh, band together and, uh, and help. Um, and all sorts of great stories come out of it, and this is a good one as well. But, uh, I'm going to talk to uh, Jim McAgorn about. Now Jim is the Wellington Olympic strength and uh, conditioning coach, a performance analyst for Ministry for Culture and Heritage and Sports Science. Wow, that is a title. Jim, good morning to you. Good morning, Smitty. Look, tell me what that title means. I can get the first part, Wellington Olympic, there's a bit of a football connotation there. Tell us about the rest of it. Yeah, so I mean, the last um, uh, the last decade working as a sports scientist and, and strength conditioning coach. I was with uh, Team Wellington for eight and a half years and the last couple of seasons I've been Wellington Olympic. Basically, you know, it's uh, like many people across New Zealand, you, you know, you can't live the dream full time so you've got to substitute that with some, some other work and that other work I do is I work as a, as a performance analyst for Manatatanga Ministry of Culture and Heritage and I make sure that um, uh, a lot of our entities, so for example, Sport and Z, Drug Free Sport and Z, stay stay on task and uh, and do what they're expected to do as as crown entities. Yeah, so I sort of spend forty hours a week with the ministry and I do another thirty hours a week with um with the the club at Wellington Olympic, um, which you know over the years can <laughs> if if you don't if you don't love what you do can grind you down a little bit, but um. Yeah, no, I absolutely love being able to being able to live uh, both aspects of that. Um, so, so Jim, has that's a, a government appointed position to overlook a government a government department performance, basically. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then additionally, outside of that, I do about another 30 hours a week with strength and conditioning work. Okay, cool. Right. Uh, let's uh, talk about um, this concept that uh, you're, you're looking at uh, starting Let the Kids Play. In other words, it's a charity drive uh, with a Give a Little page to help replace football gear, basically, for uh, all these kids that have been affected uh, by the cyclone, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So uh, initially, every, anytime anything looks at it's it's a very, very human response that you just want to help. Um, whether that is picking up a shovel and digging, um, clearing sections, uh, or whether it's doing some of this charity work, everybody just wants to help. Um, I got on the phone to two guys that I used to coach at Team Wellington, Bill Robertson, the, the coach of uh, Napier City Rovers, and Fergus Neal, their, their captain, and, and uh, I sort of got the inside track of what it was like on the ground, and I was just having a little think about it, and I knew I had to do something. Um, so I talked with my club and we decided that we would try and tap into our local community here. Initially, it was meant to just be a small thing with, with, with my local club. But as soon as other people heard about it, it spread and it spread and it spread. Um, the Give a Little page is set up so that people who had some money in their pocket could, could, could give to Napier City Rovers directly so that they could buy replacement gear for not just them, but people that need it or fund coaches so that they could go out and deliver sessions and stuff like that so that um, ultimately, you know, uh, kids could get back to playing as soon as they can after the cyclone. Um, the same with the boot drive. The boot drive was initially initially meant to be a small thing, but Jesus, it's never close to getting, getting away from me. Um, but because yeah, everybody wants to help, but it's about getting good quality gear, you know, football boots, sports shoes, jerseys, um, so that you can take down that barrier to participation because eventually the pitches are going to open again and these kids have lost everything. Uh, there's people mm. whose houses, people have lost it. The houses, simple, that's it. They've lost it. They've lost everything. Uh, we've seen some of the, the silt and the muck has gone up to the ceiling height inside people's houses and they literally would have to dig everything out before they could get it. And it's, it's gone. It's gone. And I think, um, I think we're going to find Actually, in a few weeks, this is much worse than first blush. And if we can do as a community, and I mean the football community here, if we can, if we can just alleviate that a little bit, because the root of all of this, there's kids who just want to be able to play. They'll see this extremely traumatic event. Um, unprecedented and I've lived in New Zealand for 18 years so I've never seen anything like this um, and yeah it's uh, yeah, these kids will just want to be able to go out and play and if we can help them and reduce the barriers and, and let them participate and, and encourage it and it's going to be much much better for them in the long run Jim and the good news is uh, from what you're hinting at there is that you've got uh, quite a big buy-in from uh, outside of uh, the initial region you thought you were going to target. So uh, everyone's chiming in here. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Initially, initially I thought it would just be me leaning into the people around my club, um, my play- the players that I work with, their families, and extended around uh, Wellington Olympic is is at, at its heart a Greek club and just the Greek community. 
and then it started to spiral pretty quickly. Uh, the next thing was uh, uh, a guy called Mike Anderson from Better Football. They do a Sunday league sort of social thing. They wanted to get involved with the boot drives and, and they they do collection points at there. Then we're at the Petoni, Hilton Petoni the weekend and coaches from other clubs and players from other clubs want to get involved. Then all of a sudden I'm getting a phone call. Uh, I'm getting a phone call from uh, a, a journalist called Neil Reed, and he did a wonderful piece for um, the Herald. And from that, I got a little phone call from Queenstown, and finding out that Northland FC, way up, way, way up in Fangaraya, are, are are looking to be involved. And Auckland City and Central United up in Auckland gave really, really generous donations yesterday. Um, and in, we're talking about a period of five days. Like this has only been going for five days since I started it. And, mm. and the Give a Little page is sitting at just over three thousand dollars now. Um, uh, and you know, I mean, we talk about reach. Within twenty-four hours of setting up the page, Des Buckingham, who was on the eve of winning uh, his first Indian Premier League, um, was taking time out of his day to to make a donation to the to the charity you know people really really want this to succeed they really care and it's it's only successful because of the buy-in from the people around us well well that's the thing i i guess jim is that um kids feel comfortable around kids and at the moment um you know the schools aren't even open so they're not getting to hit to spend quality mm. time uh, there will be um as you say um more news coming through out of, of hawks bay and the realization that this is and I just don't highlight Hawke's Bay, I, I, I say that because I live here, but um, up, uh, up around uh, the Gisborne Poverty Bay area as well, far reaching up towards um, Northland itself and, and uh, further north than that, um, there, I think there's going to be some terrible news and some of, um, some of these kids are not going to be in the same teams as they were last year because um, uh, that just won't be. Um, so there's going to be a point no. of realisation and, and sport and teamwork, I think, is one way to help these kids out of it. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, and I mean, what the pandemic showed us is that the kids that live in the areas with the harshest deprivation, they're the ones that don't return to sport. They're the ones we, they they lose a little bit of their childhood if they if if they don't have these opportunities. And uh, you know, as a dad myself, that just breaks my heart. Um, so if we can do anything to to alleviate that, to to bridge that gap, you know, I think. We've all done well out of football. Um, I speak metaphorically, but like in general, we've all done well out of sport. You've done well out of sport. I've had some wonderful experiences, and if you don't give back into that community, um, what was the point, really? You know, it all comes down to the the game of football came about because people literally had a ball and wanted to spend time with other people. So. I mean, it, it can't be purer than that. And that's, what, that's all we're looking for, ultimately, is that kids can get out and play. Okay, Jim, how do we help? Uh, how can we get involved? So there is a Give a Little page currently, yep. which uh, if you just search that, that is Let the Kids Play. Um, I've set it up so that if you can't give money, you could also donate um, uh, stuff that your kids have grown out of. Um, if you're involved with a football club, the easiest thing to do is drop it off to the football club and they can connect with me. Um, there, I don't think there's... Uh, I've, I mean, literally every club that I've spoken to has wanted to be involved, so there shouldn't be an issue. Um, 
and then I can try and organise if they get enough gear and they do enough drop-offs I can try and organise freight um, a lot of freight companies are very keen to help out with this as well um, so if you've got gear drop it off to your local football club and get them to contact me and it's very very easy Jim um, I applaud what you're doing um, I, I Thank you for your time this morning. Obviously, very, very uh, busy man with all your portfolios. But um, uh, thanks for the fine work you're doing. Thanks for the thought of setting it up. And uh, I'm sure uh, down the line in uh, a couple of months' time when uh, these kids are perhaps feeling like it again, um, they will be well looked after with uh, what you're providing for them. It, it's sterling, absolutely fantastic. And thanks for your time this morning, Jim. Thanks, Cheers, uh, Jim McAgorn there, who is doing a wonderful thing, a wonderful thing for um, a, a sporting side of it. And, and there are a lot of kids, I can tell you, a lot of kids around this area that play Saturday morning or school football um, who um, who probably will be thinking right here and now, I've got no gear, I've, I've got nothing. I've got absolutely nothing. Um, yeah, it's terrible. Uh, so, uh, and I mean, sport is sport. And uh, but sport is a big part of recovery. I can promise you, a lot of re- a big part of recovery, particularly in terms of involvement and teamwork and getting around uh, other kids as well. You get uh, a lot of comfort out of that, and parents will as well. Those Saturday sideline parents uh, seeing their kids out running around again uh, after uh, all this has happened, I think will uh, be a real buzz for them too. It is nine forty-five here on SENZ. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Right, uh, let's look at uh, a multi for today, and there is a basketball game on uh, a little bit later in the afternoon. Japan will, I think, beat Iran at a dollar thirty-eight. I think that's uh, pretty much a given. Um, of course, there's also a lot of football action uh, going on around the world. And uh, tomorrow morning, Juventus take on Nantes. Juventus are at a dollar thirty favourites. So I think they'll comfortably win that. And uh, also, uh, a pretty interesting uh, game of tennis this afternoon between two American women. Uh, Coco Goff and the Madison Keys. Coco Goff is favourite at sixty-one. I think Coco will uh, do the business there. So it's a buck thirty-eight into a buck thirty into a dollar sixty-one, uh, rounding out at four dollars. Japan, Juventus into Coco Goff. Uh, so that's our multi for today. But there's also football going on at the moment. Um, Champions League, of course, action. Uh, we're at the playoff stage there. Uh, Ricardo, what's happening? Uh, at the moment, it is half time in those two games. Uh, Inter Milan versus Porto is uh, nil all. That one in Italy at the moment. Uh, expect Inter Milan to probably probably go on and win that uh, Porto without about half a dozen regulars um, injured so if they don't it'll be a surprise and the other game RB Leipzig uh, hosting Manchester City and Manchester City currently lead 1-0 through Riyad Mahrez at half time Okay thanks we'll get uh, further updates on that from Ricardo through out the morning uh, both those uh, games at half time so uh, we'll keep you posted there um, we've also got uh, a busy next hour coming up uh, we'll highlight uh, what's coming up very shortly experts in agriculture covering your equipment parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field summer or winter he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa this is mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ 
It is uh, 9.57, wrote a bit of a sermon this morning, but we had uh, the power cut, so I didn't really get to say it, but I'll say it, I'll say it now because I still feel the same way. Uh, and I have to find it uh, hard, I guess, to get my head around the fact that there's a cricket test supposedly starting in Wellington tomorrow, weather permitting, uh, or a full round of Super Rugby beginning two on both sides of the Tasman, and that includes uh, Super Rugby or Picky. Uh, life goes on as normal for many who have not been smashed to pieces by Cyclone Danielle, and I suppose it should too. But as the stories begin to mount of survival of the heroes in this whole devastating process and the rumours mount daily of the real cost of human lives, property and the speculation of what's left in life for so many, uh, a drop pass, a missed kick at goal or a reckless shot or a drop catch seem pretty damn minor to me anyway at this stage. And amazingly, there'll be some teeing it up today, having driven through the past, uh, through or past the carnage that's around uh, Hawke's Bay in particular. The rich might even get a helicopter over the top. I hope it doesn't affect their swings. And let's hope the predicted rain that threatens again to add to the woes doesn't interrupt their rounds in prospect. Each to their own, I guess. Each to their own. Right, uh, coming up in the next hour, we have got a panel with Sammy Ackerman and uh, Jamie Wall. Uh, we'll be talking to uh, football fern Maya Jackman. Both Ricardo and I will be in on that interview. We have to find out when it's going to turn around for the football fans. Have not won on home soil since 2012 against China on the very ground they're playing tonight against Argentina. Maybe there's something in that. We'll find out a little bit more about the football fans. Why? Because it's a damn World Cup not far away and we're hosting it. We have to be better than we are, don't we? Coming up to 10 o'clock with Aroa and the news. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. And in the next hour, we will have a panel very shortly with Sam Ackerman and Jamie Wall. Plenty to talk about, some league of course and super rugby starting. Jamie, I want to get his teeth into that. Uh, just uh, around 10.30, as I said, we'll be talking to uh, Maya Jackman, uh, the uh, former football fern who uh, surely is uh, a little bit worried about uh, the way things are going. We'll talk to Louis Herman Watt uh, before 11 o'clock as well. There's racing at Whanganui today. Whanganui, used to be Wanganui when I lived there, but they're racing at Whanganui today. Um, so let's uh, get stuck into a pretty busy hour. panel this morning, Mr. Sam Ackerman and uh, Mr. Jamie Wall, and Mr. Jamie Wall, you'll be getting uh, pretty excited, I would imagine, uh, some rugby for you to get your teeth into after uh, a, a bit of a hiatus. Uh, what are you looking forward to this weekend, Jamie? Yeah, good morning, Smithy, and good morning, Sammy. 
Uh, well, I mean, I would be getting excited about it, but we've spent all bloody week talking about Ian Foster again and Scott Robertson. So it is nice to just sort of clear the air a little bit. Hopefully either of those two don't say anything today so we can have a bit of a clear run into what is, as Nisbo said earlier in the hour, uh, a really, really intriguing matchup in this first game um, tomorrow night between the Chiefs and the Crusaders. Um, these are two very stacked teams. Um, uh, there's the return of Ethan Blackadder as well, um, which I think has really high all-black implications um, as to how he goes um, in Super Rugby and he can continue that really good form that we saw last year until he got un- unfortunately injured because he could have been a key part in reversing some of those results uh, that w- that have dogged the All Blacks last year and have left us in the situation that we have now where all we're talking about is who's going to be coaching them um, rather than just concentrating on who's going to actually get selected in the team, which is a far more interesting conversation to be having. Totally agree. Absolutely, totally agree. Um, Sam, before we get into the league, um, the reality is, of course, that uh, we're going to see some rugby. Um, would you like to touch on the Foster thing, or have you had a guts full? Oh, listen, listen, I want to say, uh, personally, good on Ian Foster. I think his timing was shit, but all the timing has been crap on this, really. He Choosing the, the week that Super Rugby is going to kick off to finally break his silence after weeks of having a chance to do so is probably ill-timed. But the guy's been a um, the guy's been a, a political football, or at least a, at least a sporting football, really within the context of uh, rugby fans, um, people who, who don't really generally follow getting stuck into the guy as well. So he's had to he's had to cop that so much that I actually think he went from um, the most you know the despised character that everybody wanted out because he was killing the All Blacks and whatever whatever everybody was saying last year. Now he's been treated so poorly along the way to, to allow the conversations to go the way that it has and to not have that uh, you know that, there's been so many chances to back him or sack him. They didn't sack him, so they got to back him. Anything that they did go on, conversations otherwise. I've been saying with you and anyone else who asked me that is that if I was Ian Foster, I'd say I'm not going to be the coach after the uh, after the Rugby World Cup, whether I win it or not. I don't want this gig anymore because I don't have faith in the way it's done. Do the job, finish with your head held high, because there's no way, there's no way New Zealand can re can sorry instate another coach now for the World Cup and have it not be a uh, throw mud against the wall and see if it's sick situation. They've backed him, give him the space to do it. Um, I think he's had his vent, and I, I just hope this, as Jamie uh, rightfully says, hope this is uh, going to dissipate now. We can talk about, you know, what happens on the field. Rare, very rare and unusual circumstance, I know, for New Zealand rugby, but it would be wonderful. Yeah, it's, to me, it's a, it's quite un, it's shocking, absolutely shocking, the way one person has been vilified to the extent that he has on the back of how uh, he and the coaching group uh, turned it around towards the end of last year and we're still going through this whole scenario anyway Jamie um, in fact I wouldn't mind betting you go to Mount Smart uh, on Saturday afternoon because you've spent so much time in Fiji lately your team's playing there against Moana Pacifica <laughs> uh, yeah well that, that's, a, that's a pretty good bet um, Smithy yes I will I am heading down there on, um, on a, a friendly friendly kickoff time at 4.30 at, at Mount Smart um, yeah I am intrigued to see how the draw uh, go um, I had a bit bit of time to catch up with some of the local rugby um, scribes while I was up in Fiji um, and it's been really interesting to kind of gauge the public opinion of what this team's all about um, for them because obviously there's a lot of support um, and then they're very excited about the way the team plays because it showed uh, they showed last year that they're capable of some incredible rugby um, and I think that's what's got people really interested in this team not just in Fiji but down here as well but at the same time it is interesting to get get 
get chatting with the people up there because they still kind of do see it as uh, a bit of a shop window, um, if you know what I mean. They're, they're convinced, mm-hmm. a lot of people up there are convinced that that's simply a way for players to get exposed to big-time rugby and then get snapped up by French, Japanese, New Zealand teams. Um, and so they kind, there's kind of a feeling that that team will never really have any sort of consistency in selection um, up there. And also they've had a bit of a bad news story to start the season um, with their <clears throat> probably best player from last year, Vina Hibosi, um, has been stood down um, for off-field, off-field conduct issues. Um, so it's, it's not the best start for them. But at the same time, um, if you look at the storylines around both Moana Pacifica and the Drua going into last year, that they were going to probably struggle a bit but play some really entertaining rugby, the Drua were the ones that kept up their end of the bargain. Um, they, they probably played the most memorable um, game uh, last year against the Chiefs where they had that big comeback. Um, at the end, um, they, they got very close to the Highlanders as well. So the will is there. And on Moana Pacifica, I mean, they've managed to pretty much sign the same team they had last year. What that mm. actually mm. means is, do we act, do, you know, can we actually expect any more out of them? Because it's just the same bunch of guys. Um, mm. And I think that's, they're still in very much, much more of a developmental stage than the draw are. Because I could see the draw knocking off a few teams, especially up in the hot and humid conditions in CG right now. Yep, I look forward to them uh, having the opportunity to play more at home. And, uh, of course, that applies to Moana Pacifica as well. Right, uh, let's head across to um, uh, Rugby League, uh, Sammy, because... Uh, we've had a couple of weeks of pre-season games, trials if you like, trials. Um, we've had a cocktail party and we're uh, all but set to go. Um, and Andrew Webster seems to be making all the right noises. So have you have you looked at the pre-season side of things? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the great thing about pre-season is that uh, everyone's, uh, you know, everyone's a title contender for at least another week or two, um, Smitty. So everyone's dreams can be uh, be high in a competition like the NRL. But I, I really like what I've heard um, and seen out of the uh, the the Warriors outfit. I am not a um, someone who's ever read anything into the results of the preseason. Uh, and you know, some, I heard some people going, "Oh no, the Storm really took it." To, who cares? No one cares. The Storm don't care. The Storm don't suddenly feel more confident because of it. No, if, if you if you back pre-season results for a season, uh, then you have never paid enough attention to a pre-season. It is a great opportunity to blow out some steam, try a few combinations, try multiple combinations. And I think that what has been uh, put out there so far will allow Andrew Webster to be uh, at least within confident within the uh, the 17 he wants to put out. And the great thing is right now, touch wood, um, there's not too much uh, hampering him from being able to put out what he would see as his top 17 for uh, for round one. So it's, it's an exciting situation. I love the way that um, Andrew Webster has spoken about uh, taking in feedback, understanding that um, with this role comes pressure, and it's not a, so often they see here cut out all the outside noises. They're not saying that; they're saying the outside noises are there. Obviously, take the opinions from people you respect or people who deserve respect over you know someone who's just throwing shade on social media. But they're prepared to embrace a lot more of that, and, and I think that mentality never worked well for the Warriors. So, I, I like the concept where they're uh, putting a lot more onus on the players to take ownership. Haven't heard much uh, from Cameron George, uh, although he's uh, instigated a few things there. Certainly haven't heard, I haven't anyway, anything from uh, the owner, Mark Robinson, which uh, a lot of people I think's, probably think is not a bad thing. 
Yeah, look, look, certainly not, no dramas have come from them, put it that way. They still have been talking and, uh, and Mark Robertson's spoken of his, you know, desire that, you know, that this club, he's going to, you know, keep owning this club till they win premierships and then, uh, he'll pass it through his family. That's what he's talking about with his commitment to, um, to the club along the way. So, there hasn't been negatives um, to throw at this club. And I'll tell you what I think is great, is that there's a guarantee that this year, well, even if Andrew Webster underperforms, no, I don't think anyone realistically has gone saying, call for the coach's head. This is, you know, people understand that you give at least a, a season a bit to start in bed and really see what a coach is. Having that distraction away from the Warriors, I think, is a wonderful thing because uh, it has been a huge distraction, the comings and goings. The one the one year where Brian McLennan was thrown under the bus after one year uh, was, I don't think we'll repeat that scenario because that was uh, completely, wholly unfair to Bluey and a bad, uh, it started a, a chain of, uh, of bad moments for the Warriors off the back of that, in my opinion. So I, I think that stability uh, and a, a relatively settled squad as well, uh, with some good new faces in there. I, I'm I'm optimistic about um, what is what is capable. Don't don't pull me on the um, our our year hashtag stuff, please, uh, Smithy. I'm not buying. I don't, I don't want to buy into that. Uh, but it, it, it is it's, if if by our year are they top eight contenders? Absolutely. But I'm not. I I, I don't. I I'm, I won't. I can't. You can't make me. <laughs> bring it home, they said. What's the other one? Bring it home. Uh, right, okay. Uh, on, the sub- on the subject of Mark Robinson's, uh, we'll just uh, jump across to the other Mark Robinson. Jamie, I was just sitting here uh, thinking about all this uh, shamozzle that's going on, and I just I wonder how Steve Chu would have handled it, do you reckon? <laughs> ha. Well, can I firstly say that I'm, I'm just absolutely loving Sam's... Um, uh, optimism, um, but up to the point of when he actually has to make a prediction of how the Warriors are going to go, um, which I feel like is shared, is shared by, by many Warriors fans. And it's probably these days the most pragmatic way of, um, of expressing your opinion um, a week out from the season starting. Um, but yeah, uh, well, you, how, would Steve Chu have, <laughs> how would Steve Chu have handled it? Um, well, he wouldn't, we'd never know because um, the All Blacks won everything when he was in charge and he I think we're seeing now what might have happened had that not been the case. I mean, you've got to remember that, you know, the All Blacks hosted a World Cup, won a World Cup, won the next one in, in very dominant fashion and set records along the way. Um, Steve Chu could pretty much say whatever he liked. Uh, he, he pissed a few people off, sure, but he always had the last word because the All Blacks had always won. Um, I, I kind of feel a bit sorry for Mark Robinson at the moment. Like, having to sort of deal with the fallout of the All Blacks losing isn't what he's there for. Like, there's a board that appointed the the coach. Surely they should be answering um, uh, uh, to the public about this. Uh, as far as I, I know, Mark Robinson was brought into the role to sort out the union's finances moving into this next sort of decade um, and come in with the Silver Lake plan, which he's got over the line. And, and like that's what he's... He, he should be really be getting judged on now. We don't know how that's going to go yet, uh, but we'll, we'll find out. Um, like, to me, this is just, it's just such a ridiculous situation because, like, the coaching staff, Foster, all those other guys, yes, they deserve, like, respect and, and, and they get paid for it and everything, but really, at the end of the day, they are the hired help and they get replaced, just like the players do. And and I know that, you know, there's a lot of people feeling sorry for them at the moment, but it, you've got to remember, man, this is professional sport. If this was a Premier League football club, he would have been gone a long time ago. 
And like mm-hmm. so, I mean, if I can fault Robinson for anything, um, it's that he hasn't sort of been a bit more hard nosed about that side of things. Um, because if mm. anything, he's been way too nice. Well, speaking of being hard-nosed, uh, Sam Ackerman, I think Jitka Klim Clover, who of course is uh, the coach of the Football Ferns, should be getting a bit hard-nosed about uh, some of the performances. We are only now, uh, I estimate, about four months away uh, from kick-off in the Women's w- Football World Cup, and at this stage, um, I fear for us. You have to. Uh, nothing, there's no... Uh, no result um, that leads you to um, believe that this is a, a Black Ferns moment way to unfold. If anything, it feels more like a White Ferns uh, moment um, in the future mm. where the, uh, hosting a tournament is wonderful. And look, let's also be very fair. Uh, the White Ferns and Black Ferns in their respective sports are world champion material you know, at different points and different times. In Black Ferns' case, very regularly. But at the Football Ferns, we have you know, nothing has made us think that they're about to go win the Women's World Cup, right? So let's, let's be very clear uh, on what the level of success should be expected from that. But as far as being competitive, bringing New Zealand in for the ride, bringing a whole wave of new generation of, of youngsters involved, uh, getting interested in, uh, in the sport, like we saw from uh, the Black Ferns, that feels like a, a real stretch at the moment. Um, and again, I don't think that the general public is concerned about these results that we're seeing of, of late because most most people really only kind of uh, much like you know people don't really watch um, sailing for uh, most of a four year cycle where suddenly all experts and uh, right in behind um, team New Zealand when it uh, when it comes around I think when the World Cups on there'll be a bit of fervour a bit of excitement uh, and be proud to see these uh, these New Zealand uh, wahine get out there and uh, represent us with the, to the best of our ability as far as what the results are there's nothing to suggest right now that we should be excited about that no i totally agree in fact uh, we'll be talking in about uh, 10 minutes or so to uh, maya jackman to see if she can give us a, a wee bit more uh, optimism about the whole deal uh, jamie and important uh, an important time because um uh, we need to we need to win because um we need the game to grow uh, and so there's, there's, there's a lot of things at play here for the football fans and, and not just uh not just winning games well, I agree with you to a point um, in that obviously we want the football fans to be playing really well and, and winning games. I think, like, you know, at best, you know, the, the best that they could probably hope for if they were playing well is about a quarterfinal spot um, against, like, a, a really good team. Um, at the same time, I feel like this World Cup is going to be engaging with um, young women and girls uh, no matter what. You know, we've got the best players in the world coming over here. There are going to be people who are going to be exposed to all these players and all these teams that they never would have seen before. That's going to happen regardless of New Zealand playing well or not. Um, I think that, you know, we're going to have uh, a lot of infrastructure being engaged with, a lot of jobs being created from this tournament. And I think at the end of it, it's really going to be a moot point just how well New Zealand does outside of a New Zealand football point of view because at the end of it, they're a high-performance unit that needs to really be taking a look at itself as to why this team isn't performing. I've been a big critic um, of Live Golf because I'm old and uh, I like tradition, I love the majors, I love all that sort of thing and I really didn't think it would have uh, much effect on uh, us here in New Zealand uh, until the other day where I learnt, uh, Sam, that uh, Danny Lee has uh, officially joined the Live Tour in some capacity, I'm not quite sure how much uh, he's going to go for or how much golf he's actually going to play, but uh, he's gone, Danny Lee. Does that affect um, your thinking about Danny Lee or don't you blame him? 
Well, respectfully, we we, haven't, we don't hear, uh, unless you're following um, his career closely, you haven't heard much about Danny Lee uh, in, a, in a wider context in a while. And I've always enjoyed Danny Lee's uh, dry personality. And when he goes well, he's great He's great to watch. I think, and I, this is coming from a guy who lived from uh, through the, and paid very close attention to the uh, Super League era uh, and Rugby League when you know the ARL and Super League were going hammer and tong each other. I love I loved the animosity between it. It almost pulled the sport uh, to its knees, but in the end, it helped them band together, and they're in a stronger position uh, because of it. I, I think the live tour is adding a bit of uh, spice uh, and uh, drawing other people into the conversation that normally wouldn't be uh, golf fans. Uh, and I think it, it, there's is pettiness, which can get a bit out of hand, a bit silly. Um, but I, I think that it's a good thing, and it's a good thing for someone like Danny Lee because he potentially walks into a situation now where he can earn more money for less golf. Now, he hasn't exactly been setting the world on fire. If he can do something that's better for his career and it's better options because they're in a, a rush to sign players, it's like doing Super League. They started paying like reserve grade players uh, three times the price they were getting uh, previously just to try to get them on their tour to bulk up their uh, bulk up their uh, their tournaments. Same thing with, with golf. So hopefully it leads to uh, good things for him. And if he gets a result on the live tour that he wasn't getting on PGA Tour or wherever else he was respectively playing, then that's a good thing for him. Okay, Sam Ackerman, thank you very much for your time this morning. Jamie Wall, uh, enjoy uh, the Druart against the Moana Pacifica um, on Saturday afternoon, and uh, we'll speak to both these guys again uh, very shortly here on the panel. Thanks for your time, gents. Uh, intriguing uh, some of those viewpoints. 10.22 here on SENZ. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. God, people need to grow up around this conversation. Ian Foster will not be coached post-World Cup, regardless of results, so who cares? The only group making a big deal of this is the journalists. Scott will be coached after the World Cup, otherwise he'd be in England right now. Why are people making such a big deal? Ian Foster in particular needs to pull his head in. He's lucky to have a job right now. Uh, the reason why uh, is because people care. Uh, that's why. Um, rugby, believe it or not, is the national game of New Zealand. The national game and people feel as if they are invested in it they've got ownership in it and they can have opinions on it and that includes the journalist one of the reasons why they uh, do that is because it makes for good copy and it makes for good stories it's just that this story has dragged on for so long people are getting heartily sick of it and we heard from Jamie Wall say exactly the same thing uh, so um, just by the by um, that is uh, that is the reason why uh, the media are onto it um, because no one will put a full stop on it that's the thing in media terms. Uh, gosh, that was a lovely smorgasbord. Aroha Hathaway was uh, just diving through as I was listening to the panel there. It took a, it took a whole duration of the panel for it. You know, it was, looked like there was noodles and rice and all sorts of damn things. It was just... Oh, I'm jealous. Look at her holding it up to the, the camera. Oh, all these people out here are starving. Uh, terrible times. Uh, or can, uh, can we have an update um, on the football too, just as we head into the news here? Yeah. Um, Ricardo, because those two very important games on at the, at the moment. Yeah, I can tell you that RB Leipzig have actually equalised against Manchester City through um, uh, Josko uh, Gavidal, who's a Croatian centre-back, um, and he is uh, one that uh, to watch because I think Liverpool have been linked with him for next season. So one all there with 20 minutes to go and still nil all linked uh, between Inter and Porto as well. 
So that would be a great result for Porto, yeah? Be a massive result for Porto. And the other result will be a massive result for me too, mate, because I backed it to be a draw in both teams to score, so... Oh, well, okay. Selfishly, I hope that uh, you get your number up. Thanks, mate. Coffee will be on me. Yeah, for the mood of the show. It's all very important. Right, let's let's head across to the newsroom, to the extremely well-fed Aroha Hathaway, who is in great form, great form. News time. Ten thirty-two here on SENZ. Uh, time to talk uh, women's football. We'll be talking a lot of women's football in the next few months uh, and around the football World Cup. Of course, uh, we are co-hosting it uh, with Australia. Everyone knows that, and everyone knows at the moment uh, that our side are not displaying the form, the kind of form that we would like going into such a big occasion. Uh, now, Maya Jackman joins us now, and Maya, of course, is a legendary New Zealand footballer with fifty appearances against her name uh, and twelve goals. 12 goals I see, my my goodness me, yet Kirkland Clover would pay big money at the moment to buy one of your goals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think she would. Um, it's definitely an area that we're, we're really, we've really struggled in and, and have for a long time. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what, what the answer is there, but we definitely need some goals, that's for sure. Well, uh, we have an opportunity to score some tonight at North Harbour Stadium, uh, Meyer, and uh, of course it's at 7 o'clock tonight where we have a, the second of a double header against uh, Argentina. Uh, I'm hoping for at least a goal and a performance uh, out of that. Um, what, are you, what are you hoping for? Oh, the same, Smithy. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously the last two performances have been um, beyond uh, below par, that's for sure. So um, I know that they will come out with a, a little bit more edge than even from Monday, I'm, I'm hoping. And so um, they know they've got to score goals and they know they've got to perform particularly in the um, attacking third. And that's something that we've really, really struggled with. So... Um, Five months out. It's a big. There's, there's a lot. There's a lot to fix in a short amount of time. So I'm hoping that tonight that they display something that can give us a little bit of um, a glimmer of hope moving forward. What I, I looked at the other night, and uh, I, I watched uh, quite um, quite closely the game against Argentina, and it just seems to me we don't string enough phases of play together where we hold on to the ball long enough to construct enough. No, we don't. We can't. We can't hold on to that position. We 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 make poor decisions. That final that final pass doesn't make it. If we are in the in the attacking third, um, the decisions we're making in the attacking third are poor decisions. We're not composed enough in that attacking third. But to even get into the attacking third is is difficult as well. So it's starting from either the defending or the midfield, we're uh, not able to get that pass completion rate high enough to, to keep the ball and keep possession and then do something with it. Maya, I was uh, interested in a quote uh, that I read uh, from uh, the coach, the head coach, uh, Jitka Klimkova, and she said, we need changes in our behaviours on the field and off the field. And I found that a little bit puzzling. Uh, is this a happy group, do you think? I think it's a, a group that's... Um, 
maybe feeling the pressure a little bit from what's about to they're about to embark on. Um, it's a, a group that hasn't been consistent over the last however long um, Yitka's had them. So, you know, we, we look at COVID and all those types of things and the inability to play a lot of international football and getting the, the same girls into those um, matches consistently have been really hard. So you've got a lot of um, girls that are coming in for the first time or, um, you know, not used to playing with each other. So they're still finding their feet as, as they, you know, trying to figure out who they are as a group, I think. I don't, you wouldn't say it's an unhappy group. It's just a, a group that, you know, who, what, what do they stand for? I'm not sure they know just yet. So that's something that they have to really work on, like what, what, who, how they want to be remembered, all that type of stuff. There's lots of stuff that you can do off the field, but I think Yitka said that it also has to, you know, translate onto the field as well. Um, and mm. you can do all the, the culture stuff in the world. Um, and but, but you've got to make it happen on the field sometimes. Yeah, I think she said the, the dividends have got to be higher on, on the field, no matter what's going on off the field. And it's if you not, look I, at I these results, okay, right, okay. So uh, that's good to hear. My, I just look at the squad that's uh, currently playing, and because of the results, I just wonder this close to a World Cup, uh, how how close um, Yitka Klimkova can possibly be with her final squad? How, how how close do you think in your mind she is? Um, she well, she'd ha- have to be pretty close now. So I would say that the I mean, I mean you, you've, you've got to remember we've got um, Rebecca Stott unfortunately got injured the game before she came into camp with Rhea Purcell was very close to coming in not sure about um, Annalie Longo she's um, touch and go but there are a few that are still um, you know some really quality players that are still they're still yet to come in but other than those I think she's pretty close to, to her squad I would say with what she has at the moment my, there's not there's, much else out there. <laughs> yeah, no. I was gonna. I was gonna ask you about. Uh, you know, I mean, what sort of difference Aria and and Annalie make in the middle of the park, but also uh, between the sticks. Erin um, Naylor, I think, at the moment is there by default. She's been number one for a long time, but I think we've seen both Vic Essen and Annalie in their club careers go past her in terms of the level they're performing at. It's just a pity that we don't have them here because they've both picked up injuries before this window. Of course, yeah, those two as well. Um, and yeah, Vicky Sin is, is just playing really, really well and, and elite also for her club. And um, I think Erin's um, done a good job between the sticks at times, but I I feel like um, Vic or Annalise are the, the two that we're looking at, probably Vic at the moment. Um, Rhea Percival is just very consistent. You know, she has that real grit as well, but she can. She's a playmaker too. Um, Annalie is is a is a play, uh, sorry. Um, yeah, Annalie Longo is a playmaker too. But coming back from ACL injuries, it's it's a tough one. Um, so Rhea Percival, I I believe definitely will be back. She's maybe a month out from you know full being being fully available. Um, so I feel like she will bring a level of um, competitiveness. Um, you know, she's got high standards, so she asks a lot of the players around her when she's on the pitch, so we really need that as well. Um, and, yeah, but, yeah, there's not much left out there for, for Yitka to look at. 
than would, what we're seeing at the moment. Yeah, I would say, you know, when Yetka took over from Tom Samani, um, who played a very deep um, and conservative defensive style of football with the Ferns, first half a dozen games or so, um, the Ferns really looked to express themselves more. They looked better going forward and they started scoring goals. They may not have been winning every game, but they were going they were going forward scoring goals and giving the opposition trouble. Why do you think that has changed? Because uh, it's still the same coach. Yeah, I don't. I don't know actually um, why. Why? Because so yeah, that's that's true. They um, we started seeing a, a lot more of an attacking-minded team, and I know that that's what Yetka has been asking of the team. And um, I'm not sure why um, that has that hasn't translated late lately. Um, but you know, she was using a lot. She had to use a lot of different and younger players. Um, who sometimes come into a, an environment with that level of, you know, they haven't been sort of ground down yet, <laughs> if you know what I mean. You know, like that they have that um, that flair to just want to, you know, they'll just do whatever they want to do. Um, so I, sometimes I think um, at the moment they might be getting in their own ways and not really. We don't have someone, I mean, Olivia Chance has that, you know, shows that potential of having that real individual flair and, and going at, at the back line and you know she works the ball really well when she does do it and so we need to see more of that from her and the other players um just that real sort of maverick type of a player to want to wanna go ahead and score goals yeah i mean love love chance plays for for celtic in the in the scottish league and, and does very well there and she she is a creative player i mean up front hannah wilkinson hasn't always been available but she is back now uh, grace jale uh coming through those, those two played up front together the other day uh that feels like two of the same sort of player do you think that's the best front too or would you put a page satchel or a, or a love chance higher up the field um yeah, it's hard. They are they are quite similar, similar in build, similar sort of like get the ball, you know, long to them kind of thing. Um, I feel like um, Grace hasn't really hit her her straps yet. Um, I think she's she's scoring goals for Canberra and she did for for the Phoenix. So it'd be nice to see her um, get a little bit more creative because I know she can. Um, but a bit, oh yeah, it'd be nice to see live maybe a little bit further up. I'm not sure, um, but we, de- I mean, we just we need to get it in the the top third to to start with though. So that's a lot of the problem as well. Like they're not getting the service, or if they are, it's a long ball that gets lost really easily. Um, so it's like Smithy said before, it's been able to keep possession and work it up the pitch, and then keep it in the top third, and then make better decisions and um, and and score the opportunities that come in front of us. Um, Michaela Foster, is, uh, I, I think, has been a bit of a revelation for the Phoenix women's team, um, playing as a, as a left back nominally. Do you see um, a, a role for her come World Cup time? I, I, because I do wonder, you know, Ali Riley's just brought up 150 games for the Ferns, and I know she's still playing professionally in the States at Angel City, but um, I don't know quite where the legs are at with her. I mean, is she a player that you might want to do what they did with Rhea and bring her more centrally um, so she can kind of help dictate play a bit more and, and, and then have a foster come in and, and fill that left back role? Yeah, look, I think um, Mickey did not look out of out of sorts at all. I mean, you know, she didn't look out of her depth at all when she came on and um, I think she's um, a really a good, a great um, player coming in for so I think she'll have a role in the World Cup, and going going forward, she'll be 
a great player to have and her, that left peg of hers is unbelievable. Um, mm. So, yeah, um, I think Ali played centrally against the US and didn't do too badly. It's quite hard to, to adjust as, um, you know, from an outside player into a central defending um, position and she didn't do too badly and whether it's you're putting her there so she doesn't have to run as much because she is picking up little niggles here and there now quite a lot so um and and then um yeah mickey prefers to play out on the left so i feel like that would be a role for her going forward maybe not so much um this campaign but yeah moving forward she could be the next left left back that we have Maya, this is the last opportunity on home soil. Next time we run out on home soil, it'll be against Norway at Eden Park on uh, July the 20th. But there are opportunities um, in between now and then uh, overseas. Uh, uh, tell us um, a wee bit about those. I actually, I'm not too sure. I know they've got some um, games coming up in April or May. Oh, no, they, they centralise in May, the ones that can. Um, but I think they've got a couple of games offshore in April. I'm not too sure who those are against, though. So they do, but they do have those two opportunities to um, to to be able to solidify that that, that should be the, the squad that will be going into the World Cup. So those will be good games to, you know, get some um, continuity with the players that, that will be going heading into the World Cup. We saw what a home crowd um, and home atmosphere can do for the Black Ferns. And let's be honest, they weren't favourites at all going into their tournament. Uh, I think they're about um, number three or four seed. Do you think a, a really healthy home crowd can have the, uh, the same kind of effect uh, for the White Ferns? Will it lift them? It always the football lifts. Ferns, I it should say. Lifts. Yeah. And the White Ferns, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, it, all, it, all, it always lifts. It always lifts you when you're in a home crowd and knowing that your family are there and um, you know they say, they say it's like the twelfth twelfth player when you've got a really good good backing in the in the in the stands. Um, I was at the Chile Haiti game yesterday and Chile brought a thousand players a people in. Unfortunately, it didn't help them, but um, it it can go so far. But they've still got to they've still got to do what they need to do on the pitch. And yeah, it did. It, it, you know we're really good at we really want them to do well and i know the footballing community and new zealand want them to do really well and they just want to you know get on the bandwagon and and support them and hopefully they do no matter what anyway because it's such an amazing tournament coming down to 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 the new zealand shores and i still don't think new zealand understand how big it is um and i hope that we do get a massive crowd for these girls to play in front of, I, I believe we will. I think they will. We we had twelve thousand against um, the US, and so it, it shows that the Kiwis really do want to get get behind the girls. And you know that's just a friendly. So hopefully, come the World Cup, there's at least double that, and there's some big voices in the crowd for, to get behind the girls because it really does lift lift you. And so, yeah, moving forward, I'm I'm really hopeful that the girls will be in a better space doing much better things with a crowd that's really big and behind them. Cool. Maya Jackman, great to catch up with you and uh, get your thoughts on uh, the, the way you see it currently. Of course, uh, folks, you can get along tonight to North Harbour Stadium. Uh, that's the last time uh, New Zealand won on home soil, incredibly, back in 2012 against China. Maybe we can break the hoodoo there tonight uh, at 7 o'clock. Get along there. Maya, I'm sure you'll be uh, very interested in what unfolds there tonight. Uh, hey, thanks for your time. I uh, really enjoyed it. No, Cheers. no worries. Thanks, Mazzy.
Yeah, cheers. Maya Jackman there, legend of uh, New Zealand football uh, in some better days, but hoping for good things uh, ahead as uh, we head uh, very, very quickly towards uh, that World Cup appointment against Norway uh, at Eden Park. July 20th, let's hope it's uh, near to a sellout there, and that will certainly lift them, no doubt about that. 10.47. Talking to uh, Dane Williams, who uh, is um, uh, VP for... Uh, for Brent, um, working out of uh, the Gisborne region, and uh, we're going to try and talk to him around about 11.20 this morning on uh, the agricultural impact uh, this is having around uh, the East Coast in particular uh, and what they're uh, able to do about it uh, through their brand as well. So uh, great sponsors of our show. We'll be talking to Dane Williams, hopefully around about 11.20 this morning, but uh, you've got uh, final scores for us, Ricardo? Yeah, final scores in the Champions League. Uh, RB Leipzig won, Manchester City won, which means uh, my multi came in, so I'm quite happy with that, Smithy. Uh, and yep. <laughs> this is the important things. And then uh, Inter Milan have scored against Porto late through Romelu Lukaku. Porto had a man sent off with about 12 minutes left, and then Lukaku scored four minutes from full time, so 1-0 the final score there. Okay, excellent. Uh, don't forget, uh, we're going to be talking to uh, Louis Herman Watt before midday, hopefully, and uh, they're racing at uh, Wanganui today. Bring your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, so normally we'd chat to Louis now, but Louis, uh, not available uh, this morning. So it just gives me the opportunity uh, to perhaps suggest a multi at Whanganui uh, today. There are eight races beginning um, at uh, around about uh, 12.25. And uh, looking at uh, race one, don't go past uh, number one in the book, Talisker. Uh, Talisker was uh, uh, certainly uh, one of the favourites going into the Magic Million two-year-old. And I think you can uh, multi that into one in the second also from the Tangerine Stable. Uh, and that'll uh, produce uh, a Michael McNabb double in the first two races. Dignitosa, drawn one, uh, paying around about 350. Nice little multi to start the day. Ken Rutherford after the break. Ken Rutherford, where is Ruds? Covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Rightio, it's uh, just after uh, 11.03 here in New Zealand time, a little bit earlier uh, in Australia, which uh, makes it uh, pretty surprising that our next guest is available to us uh, at this hour of the day, but uh, I'm thrilled that he is. It is uh, Ken Rutherford, of course, um, wonderful career as a New Zealand cricketer. He's a young gun, I think. He might have just snuck into being the black cap uh, wearer as well. Um, but um, we're going to talk about uh, some cricket at the Basin Reserve coming up um, in the next few days, hopefully, uh, weather permitting, uh, because it's sold out for the first three days. Uh, Ken Rutherford, good morning to you. That takes us back to the glory days of sell out at the basin, mate. How are you? Yeah, it does. Uh, Stockley House things, mate. No, it's uh, all to look forward to. I actually just looked at the uh, forecast. It's pretty dire in Wellington, isn't it, the next couple of days? So, fingers crossed. Hope for the best. Yeah, some some of those guys who back in the day will be um, hoping for an early call-off uh, so they can head down to the Cambridge. Well, they've closed down Flanagan, haven't they, Stockley? So uh, that's uh, one option uh, off the list, shall we say. But uh, the Cambridge is uh, not a bad uh, alternative. Yeah, you're an evil man. Uh, right, let's, uh, <laughs> let's look. <laughs> what are you doing, by the way, these days, right? What are you up to? Where, where are you based? Um, I work for a company called RacingAndSports.com, so everyone should go on that website and get all the latest form for today. Some good racing, Ken LaGrange and... Uh, 
I see Wanganui today, actually, so no doubt you do a preview yep. of that later on the show. Um, so I'm stuck in Canberra. I should say stuck in Canberra. Canberra sort of makes Gore look rather cosmopolitan, Stockley, so uh, <laughs> um, shall we say. And uh, So getting used to Canberra, well, I grew up in Dunedin, so I can't complain too much, can I? I mean, the 60s and 70s and early 80s in Dunedin, well, come on, yeah. Uh, so I'll give Canberra a bit of a break in that regard. Okay. Well, I imagine they've got uh, colour television in Canberra and uh, satellite TV, so you've watched a bit of cricket, uh, Ken. Um, What have you made of... uh, Well, let's let's start with Brendan, your old buddy. Let's start with the style of cricket. You like it? Mm. Oh, how can you not? Uh, It's it's hard to to take your eyes off it, really. And uh, I think the the, the best example, really, was the Pakistan series that England played before Christmas. some of the some of the stats there. I think the first day's player Rawapindi in the first Test match, uh, what the, the scoring rate was around seven over for the whole day. It's just just amazing. Even though the pitch was flat and the outfield was quite quick, uh, those stats don't lie. It's it's incredible. Uh, and it, and in terms of re energising I guess uh, Test cricket, which to be fair to Brendan, he did say that when he first got the job. He said he feels an obligation not just to English cricket but to international cricket to do something about test cricket, and uh, my God, he's done it, and he's only really been in the job for about 10 months. Uh, he, he's very authentic about what he says, and he's, he's very keen to, to, to follow through in ter- words in terms of actions, and uh, look, it's great to watch. It's, it's Put it this way, when, when the Pakistan series is on, all the series have been on, I've kind of made a, made a mental note when they start and who's batting first, and if England are batting, I'm keen to watch it. Mm. Yeah, I'm keen to watch it as well. I'm not so keen to watch uh, what they're doing to our bowling attack at the moment. But uh, I, I, you know, you know Brendan McCullum. I mean, he just he is he just lays his cards on the table. He names his team early on in the piece. He likes to get that out of the way. His tactics are there for all to see. Uh, they've won ten out of eleven. Why can't anyone combat them? It's an interesting question. It's this question I know here in Australia that they're looking to start to find answers to too. With the Ashes series, of course, starting. In the UK, I think it's around July this year. It's not too far away. Mm-hmm. Um, I read Mark Reason's column in, the, in Stuff yesterday, and he said it might just be a passing fad, or it would be a passing fad. I'm not so sure because I think there's a bit more, uh, a bit more art and thought that goes into it than uh, Brendan really uh, gets credit for. It's, he, he, it looks a bit one-dimensional. I'm not so sure it is. I think you'll you'll see it develop, and you'll see a guy like Joe Root play more like Joe Root traditionally with a bit of the Brendan Spark added into it, which will make Joe Root's performance as a test batsman perhaps even dominant, even more dominant in the next uh, few years to come. Look at a guy like Harry Brook. Uh, under past test regimes for any country, would he have burst on the scene and played the way he's been allowed to play and been encouraged to play over, over the first part of his test career? He's a good example, actually, of what the, the kind of McCullum-Stokes influence can have on one particular player just starting what, look, what looks like could be a stellar career. So I think there's more to it. I, I, I think what you see is not completely what you get. I think there's a bit more uh, thought and, as I say, uh, art that goes on behind the scenes. I think you'll see the whole thing develop as the next two or three years uh, continue. Like uh, this morning I read an article where Devin Conway has admitted that uh, we can't yeah. play that way. We just We just have to play... Uh, the way we know best and hope that it's good enough on the day. And um, it, it kind of suggests uh, to me that we're not going to change uh, in our thinking. And uh, But the, the problem I have with that, Ken, we, we've, we've lost personnel, we've lost Bolt, we've lost Jameson, mm. we've lost Ross Taylor, we've lost two or three key, key elements that made us the side that won the World Championship, and we haven't adjusted. 
No, we haven't, and uh, that's that's the that's the key point that you make, Smithy. And uh, yeah, I just read that article myself before coming on here, and um, he, he is right in a way, and that. Um, yeah, New Zealand have got to play to their strengths. At the moment, we're kind of wondering if the strengths are strong enough to, to combat not just England, but any of the top four or five test-playing countries around the world. Um, it's time for guys to step up, and you look at a guy like Henry Nichols, and he's probably being picked on at the moment to some extent, but his record over the last three years is, is pretty ordinary, particularly against some of the better sides. Uh, he, he hasn't played well. Tom Latham, lots been made of his record against sides other than Zimbabwe, Bangladesh, and some of the other Minos. Uh, his record against South Africa, for example, I think he's averaging under 10 in, in test match cricket and the, the sample size is, 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 is enough to suggest he struggles against them. So it's, it's the Elathams and Nichols and uh, others around Kane not to put too much pressure on Kane. And uh, I think you're seeing, unfortunately, in Kane's own performance over the last little while that perhaps that pressure is done to tell and uh, the fact that he hasn't got such an able lieutenant backing him up at number four in the order as Ross Taylor over the years, uh, the impact on Kane is uh, perhaps even more... Uh, extravagant than uh, we had hoped. Um, look, the batting lineup. You're probably going to ask me that next. So I'll step in. Um, mm. I, I think Young's got to play. I think he's got to open the batting. He's a he's a guy with a terrific um, uh, technique. Uh, I know he started as a middle order player, but he's done nothing wrong really at the top of the order when he's been asked to perform the role. Because if you look at the the English uh, bowling attack, obviously Anderson and Broad, but the others, the support the support cast pretty darn good as well. So you need a decent technique those first 20, 25 overs. Latham obviously won't go anywhere. Uh, Williamson at three, and, and we've just got to put Conway at four, mate. He's, he's got to be your number four. If you look at Conway's record growing up in Joburg, when he played school cricket, uh, through the age groups for, for Halting and to the Halting side, he, he batted four. Four is his, his position. He's really only open for us because that's been the opening for him, and he's done well. Good on him. But to put arguably now our best player, I don't, I don't mean to, to downgrade Kane just yet, but between Kane and, and Devon, that's where our, reins are, our runs are going to come. Uh, that has to be our, our access going forward. And obviously with Mitchell, Blundell and Bracewell, that's not a bad unit. Um, Nichols at the moment, to me, just doesn't look likely. Did you ever envisage in your mind that our frontline spinner in a test match or a test series against England would be Michael Bracewell? No, well, I recall Michael when he was growing up in Otago and playing for Otago, and he bowled these little dribbly Jeremy Coney-esque uh, medium paces, I think little in-swingers from memory, and uh, he, he, he's developed. Uh, they tell me he's got very big hands, I don't know. But uh, that probably helps as an off-spinner, doesn't it? Uh, look, he's done well. Look, in New Zealand conditions, we can probably get away with with just having Michael there at that six or seven in the batting order and, and bowling maybe half a dozen to ten to a dozen overs a, a day. Uh, particularly if you look at the, the spatial reserve wicket coming up, you're probably not going to need a spinner, are you, at all, if the forecast is what the forecast suggests. So we'll probably get away with it. Overseas tours and that, you know, Ish Sodi did a great job and for my money has been underestimated, underrated uh, in terms of what he can provide the five-day environment in New Zealand. Uh, over the last five, six years, he's been lumbered and labelled as, a, as a, only a white ball player. Uh, good on him for sticking at it, Sodi, and to to show that he can do a job in the longer form of the game. So he's going to be a, a key still a young fella. He'll be a key for us going forward when we do travel back to Asia and the West Indies and places like that where you need an out-and-out spin bowler. So I don't mind the balance of the side with Bracewood at seven. You've got Southey, you've got Wagner, you've got the other two seamers. Um, that does mean your tail is quite long, but it puts the, the, um, the, the emphasis on the, on the top six to seven players batsmen to get pranced. 
placing a lot of emphasis on uh, a pretty unproven attack as well. Uh, Southie, undoubted. Uh, Wagner, people starting to now look at uh, Neil Wagner through all the heart and soul and, and effort he's put in, yeah. whether it's uh, just starting to tell a wee bit, his pace is down. Um, and two players yep. um, who played and basically made their debuts, Tickner, uh, of course, and uh, Scott Kugelein at, at the weekend, who are uh, bowlers of uh, pretty similar ilk. Uh, yeah, a lot of question marks. That's your point. Yeah, I, 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 the problem I have, um, I, I think we needed to perhaps uh, just investigate the Trent Bolt thing a little bit more closely than we did without writing it off now that Jameson's gone. Yeah, I don't disagree, and hindsight's a great thing. It would have been great to have Trent there just to provide that, well, the class, really. I was going to say the variation, mm. but it's more than that, isn't it? It's the class that he's that he's got. He's, he's the sort of guy, you know, not, not many players, I don't think, have the athleticism and the abil- pure ability and expertise to, to play a T20 tournament somewhere else around the world, travel, and be five days later playing a test match against someone. I don't think many could do that, but he has proven that he can, so... Um, and he probably shouldn't be thrown beyond the boundaries because he's he's made a, a career decision as as per the one he's made. And, you know he, he's earned the right to, I, I guess. That's the point. Um, but you hit the nail on the head about the first test attack. It was too similar. Um, Stickner and Kugelin. I was disappointed in the captaincy, frankly, when for, for for quite significant periods of the game you saw Tickner and Kugelin bowling in partnership. There was just nothing different. They both. Did I did I straight to my eye anyway, and and more often than not looking to bang it in. Um, it was just asking nothing different of the batsman, so uh, that was a disappointment. Um, a couple of points you mentioned Wagner. He's thirty seven now. His first spell is, is good, but he seems to look. He still charges in and tries. We know what we're going to get with Wags, don't you? And, and good on him. But he is lower in pace, and that's probably a an initial uh, signal alert that things might just be on the slight deterioration. I certainly wouldn't damn him anyway, but he's still providing a service for our for our team. So I'm also a little bit concerned with Southie's pace as well, Smithy, to be fair. I think his first spell's pretty good, second spell's not bad, but as a long day goes on, it also does slip back into slightly third seamerish mode, if you like. And uh, mm. So I think the, the, the wider issue with our team... To, to, to put it bluntly, is what the hell the selectors uh, been doing over the last two or three years? They had to foresee the ageing of our side, and uh, has anything been done really at domestic level to push players forward? Oh, I think it's a very valid question. Having said that, uh, I spent uh, quite a bit of uh, the recent summer in Australia. When I left Australia, I thought the Australian team looked so assured, so settled. Um, everyone yeah. had their role in the side. Uh, they arrive in India. Uh, they, the player of the summer is not picked in the first test in terms of Travis Head. Um, and all of a sudden, uh, they look a rabble, Ken. Yeah, they do. And a lot of um, a lot of it's been directed at the, at the coaching staff now. Uh, Andrew McDonald, we know he got the job after the, the, the coup to get rid of Justin Langer. And, the, and, the, and talking to some of the ex-Australian players, it was very much a case of uh, player power being involved there. Um, a couple of points about the, the summer over here. I mean, I've never known Australians who love their cricket in the same way that New Zealanders love their rugby. I've never known them to be so apathetic about cricket, full stop. Um, mm-hmm. Quite frankly, if it wasn't for a very, very good Big Bash series, um, cricket would have been lost to, to most keen observers of the game over here. The Test Match series against South Africa, goodness me, uh, there was more excitement uh, touring around the very few sites of interest in Canberra, quite frankly, than watching that history. So, um, 
So I think there's an issue with cricket full stop over here. You might have garnered that yourself in your observations when you are here for about a month. And the Big Bash actually helped them out flat out because it was a terrific competition this year. But going back to, look, we know it's tough in India. And I think Matthew Hayden, he, he made a really valid comment during the first test match when he said the Australian batsmen haven't understood how important the first half hour or 40 innings, uh, 40 minutes of your innings is when you go out to bat in India. And as you know, Smithy, you go out there to different atmosphere completely, not just the pitch, but the, the chattering, the constant chattering of the fielders around you. you know, the bowlers are bowling more often because of spinners, so they're bowling sort of two, two balls to your normal one when you're facing a quick bowler going out to the middle. You, the crowd kind of sense that when there's new batsmen in, there's a whole uh, era of uh, anticipation that we'll get this next bugger out too, if you know what I mean. It's like everyone kind of, it's, it's, it's a very antagonistic kind of atmosphere and very hard to get used to for your first kind of 25, 30 deliveries and the Australians just seem to have this this, this fit theory. They're going to back themselves, play their game, no matter the conditions. And, and we know that's, that can be a very naive kind of uh, attitude to have. You, you've got to back your defence in those circumstances. I, even though Peter Hanscom in the first test didn't get too many, I said to a few at work here who love their cricket, I said, your best batsman against spin looks like it's Hanscom. Uh, mm. Because he, 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 he looks to be quite calm and out there playing with soft hands, straight bat, it all looks very, very uncomplicated. And um, look, he got a duck in the in the second innings of that last Test match, but uh, he, he looks okay. But the rest, goodness me, the the sweep shots are playing. Obviously, that's the most uh, most obvious uh, area of criticism. But but overall, there appears to be very little thought have gone on from a coaching perspective in terms of how to play in India. Ken, always great to catch up with you. Give us that website again uh, for our tips on going over here, over there in particular. Yeah, racingandsports.com. You'll see plenty of information for your punters there. There's a bit of sport on there. There'll be a good preview of the the next Test match in India-Australia. There's also some podcasts you listen to to get some quality radio, uh, Smilly, as well, for, for your listeners. Quality radio. Oh, um, oh thank you. And, I thought we had quality radio for the last 15 <laughs> minutes, but you've just poo-pooed that. Yeah, and I'll give you a winner today. I just had a quick look. There's a, there's a horse at Kimberley Grange this afternoon. Stocks get all over it. Uh, race seven. It's a horse called Mobstar. I see it's seven fifty into sixes. Chris Lee's trains. Yeah. Dylan Gibson's rides. Uh, I think it's got number four or five or six. One of those in the book. It's fresh okay. up. It's had a little break. It, it trolled enormously uh, last time out at uh, Newcastle on the Beaumont track. So be all over Mobstar at about five to one. Good on you, Ken. Great catching up with you, mate. Stay safe over there, eh? I'll see him Flanagan's next time, Stocks. Yeah, the reunion. That'll be a reunion. It is 11.19. Goodbye and good luck, Ken Rutherford, and thank you very much for your contribution. 11.19 here in, in New Zealand on SENZ. That is a scallywag. That man is a scallywag in the nicest possible way. Uh, we'll be back shortly to talk flood relief. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, very proud uh, to be associated with Brant. Uh, experts in agriculture as the major sponsor of our show and uh, of course uh, John Deere suppliers as, as well as providing all the information and uh, expertise that you need uh, to get in and out of um, situations and we're finding one ourselves uh, in uh, a terrible situation particularly on the east coast we're going to talk now to the vice president of operations uh, for Brandt in New Zealand uh, Mr Dane Williams who currently is actually in uh, Rotorua but uh, normally would be based in Gisborne so very much part of uh, the area that's affected uh, Dane good morning to you thanks for your time how are you 
Yeah, well, I'm, uh, I'm in Hawke's Bay, so you probably know um, uh, how we're generally feeling down here. Um, in terms yeah. of uh, Brent, uh, the company, um, uh, this is going to have um, a major impact on, on your operations going forward, of course, when, um, when recovery and, and all sorts of things uh, get into gear. Uh, how, has, how has it impacted the company and the staff for you? Um, obviously, last week was quite devastating, and for both our regions, really got impacted quite a lot. Um, we had staff that were stuck at home and stuck in their own little small communities. But what what I've found is that um, our local teams have really started to step up a bit and really start to help those smaller communities uh, going forward. It is going to impact our business quite a lot, but at the moment it's all about our communities that we're trying to tidy up and help clean up. Dane, have, have you, you got any idea of uh, the amount of uh, of damage yet? I mean, uh, are we at the point where we know exactly what we're looking at, or are we still finding that out? Oh, we're still finding it out. Um, you know, we have some a few customers that really have had devastating losses, up to ninety percent of their crops. Uh, at the, on the other end, we still have some customers that we're safe that are starting to. Um, get the apples picked now and pack houses are starting to go in full steam. So it's really just calculating that as we go. Uh, but it, it, we still don't have access between two, some of our smaller communities, and it's just trying to help civil defence and everyone gain their access and gain access to even driveways for people to even get home. Yeah, I mean, that is, that is the crucial thing. I mean, everyone is focusing on, on life and limb at the moment, but of course, um, horticulture, um, agriculture, horticulture is so much a part of what these provinces uh, are all about. Uh, for some, as you say, have been lucky and uh, they can largely march on uh, unaffected, but for others, it could be a long period of time, if ever again. That's the reality, isn't it? Yes, yes, you're. You're 100% correct there. Right, uh, let's uh, let's look at um, the type of things that, that Brandt is able to do to help with the recovery. So, yeah, so currently we have uh, a lot of our tractors out there cleaning cleaning paths and road, trying to gain access to for people to get to their houses. We have little excavators out there helping clean up sites. Um, we've had customers you know, lose their houses and their vehicles. So Brent have actually um, offered up vehicles to to those people um, and those customers. But the thing is, you know, like it's not all about customers. If there's something that, uh, that in the community they feel that we can help help gain access to their houses, help gain access to their farms, anything that they feel that we can help, please call into your local branches um, because the local teams in Hastings and in Gisborne are definitely definitely pushing it, pushing ahead for the communities as they, as they go around. How are you finding the morale of the people? Um, you know, Kiwis, by and large, Dane, have got this reputation oh. of being of, of resilient people and who tend to bounce back. How are you finding the morale amongst uh, your staff, your, your customers Honestly, and, and the dealings that, yeah? Through this disaster, everyone is still, everyone's positive. Like, they're, they're pushing through. It's just, the communities are all banding together. We have you know, a lot of a lot of people donating food, and that's getting to these isolated communities that still don't have access to to the to the bigger cities. Um, so, it, the the morale around the place, like everyone is 
is down in the dumps, but everyone is still pushing forward and banding together. It's, it's actually quite amazing when you go, when you hear from these smaller communities. What's the size of the operation um, in, in Hawke's Bay and, and in Gisborne? How many staff do you employ and, and your outlets? So, so in, in, in the Hawke's Bay, we have a branch in Waipukura as well. Um, we, we run about 20 in Waipak, similar numbers in Hastings and similar numbers in Gisborne. It's brilliant, absolutely yeah. brilliant. I, I, yeah. I know you're a busy, you've got a busy guy. I, I'd imagine you're on the phone trying to organise things left, right, and centre all the time. Uh, great. We'll, we'll have another update, uh, I'm sure, at some stage uh, from from uh, you, you, Dane, or, or the people at Brant. We'd just love to stay in contact with uh, the operational side of how the cleanup is going. So, thanks for your time this morning, yeah. and uh, let's hope you stay safe and, and well in your particular area. Awesome, and if anyone need anything please call into our local branches if you feel that we can help you out in any way okay we will uh dane will continue to push it thanks and thanks for your association uh with the show we really do appreciate it uh, travel safe thanks for your time Thank you. dane williams the vice president uh, of operations within new zealand and operations normally um on a regular day-to-day -day basis um, uh, look entirely different to what they do now um, and Brent, one of many companies that are doing some sterling work uh, in those areas that crucially needed at the moment. It is uh, 11.31 here on SENZ uh, we shall uh, give away 50 bucks if you're good enough very shortly 0800 150811 is uh, the phone number uh, to call through to Stump Smithy Brian will take your calls and Ricardo will be uh, Master of Ceremonies this morning so we'll have news with the Aroha and then we'll get stuck into it Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Top class at a lot of things, uh, you'd have to say. Uh, Stumped with Smithy. Uh, Smithy, uh, we have got Craig from Tauranga on the line. He is uh, going to be uh, the, your first victim today, mate. How are you feeling about things, Smithy? I'm feeling pretty good. I'd just like to uh, get this fly out of the studio. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I've done my best to do that. Um, I'll sort that out, and then I'll try and deal to Craig in the same sort of way. Uh, Craig, good morning to you. Yeah, good morning, Smithy. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah I'm good. How are you uh, travelling uh, there in the BOP? All, all, good, all good? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we were extremely fortunate up here. Um, certainly didn't get hit. Hit with the cyclone or the flooding a couple of weeks ago that the rest of the country or the rest of the North Island team too. So, um, yeah, very fortunate. Did you get along to the cricket? Uh, no, I didn't get along to the cricket, unfortunately. Um, I <laughs> I don't want to blow my own trumpet, but I did spend spend the weekend uh, down at the Towering Area Club where they were doing a, a bit of a drive for, for supplies and we were sending planes and um, and trucks down to down to your area. So that was, that was my wow. weekend. That's amazing. I, I had no idea about that. Just tell us briefly about that, that operation, if you could. 
Um, yeah, so there's um, some really good posts um, on Facebook and, and other social media platforms. So if anyone's interested, they can go to the Tauranga, Tauranga Aero Club um, webpage. But there was a couple of high-profile guys, uh, Greg Clark, uh, Tembi Powell, among others, and all the staff at the Tauranga Aero Club, um, Chief Flight Instructor, among others, uh, that organised some planes, some volunteers, um, so some privately owned planes along with some club planes were were sent down to areas that weren't accessible by road with with as many supplies. We were just inundated with uh, with so much stuff around town. We got to the point where uh, obviously we were turning away um, sort of clothing and things and, and down to to mainly food and water and, and essential supplies. So um, three days worth of just packing stuff. Um, a couple of trucking companies got on board. Brett Marsh Transport um, supplied a truck among others. Uh, so we loaded up a couple of forty foot trucks full of stuff. Uh, so that all finished Sunday afternoon and, and um, it seems the authorities now weren't after supply so much and, and more after donations. So, yeah, if anyone's out there and still wanting to do something for the, for the cause, then then um, the word is, is uh, cash donations now and, and plenty of places for that. So, yeah, that, that was essentially our weekend. Fantastic. Uh, thank you for your work and uh, those uh, um, of the Tauranga Aero Club as well are absolutely sterling. I'd Absolutely no idea about that, and um, I'd imagine there's quite a few operations going on that don't uh, get the kudos, and I'm glad that we had the opportunity to give you um, just a little bit of reflection there, mate. And in terms of the business this morning, uh, you might well win 50 bucks. Ricardo, what are the subjects for uh, Craig to consider? All right, Craig, here you go, mate. Uh, Do you want to go head-to-head with Smithy on cricket, rugby, or basketball? Oh, 100% on cricket. 100%? Oh, he's backing himself Backing himself, Smithy. Um, it's, it's always fun. It's always fun. All right, here we go. Your first question. Craig, who scored the most runs in a single innings in the recent Black Caps versus England first test? Uh, oh, I think it was Tom Brundle. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Yeah, nicely done. 138 in that first innings. All right, so you're one from one. Here's question two. Who top scored for the White Ferns in their T20 World Cup win against Sri Lanka? Uh, I don't know, but I'm going to guess that it was Susie Bates. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. He's played a miss, Smithy. Can you stump him? Yeah, I, I think I, I don't think it was uh, Sophie Devine. You only re- really think of three three names. You, you think of Susie Bates, Sophie Devine, and Mealy Kerr. And I think Mealy Kerr. I, I've got a feeling it was Mealy Kerr. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the oh. slot, and away it goes. Oh, mate, tuck your tuck your bat under your arm, walk to the pavilion, Craig. Unlucky son. No worries, uh, Ricardo. You did say I'd be his first victim, so you were spot on the money there. Well done, Smitty. <laughs> Have a Thanks, good day. Hey. Have a good one. Thank you. Thanks for participating, but thanks for your efforts and your generosity towards uh, the cause. Thank, thanks, Craig. Have a terrific day. Uh, look, to, to be honest, I, I was just one of many, and I wasn't part of the organising of it. So really, the kudos goes out to those that, that were involved in organising. I was just there as, as a helping hand. But yeah, all good. we're wishing you all the best uh, in, in those areas and, and thinking of you guys. Uh, so take it easy, and hopefully, uh, hopefully things improve. Good on you. Thanks very much, Craig. Uh, Craig, and look forward to hearing from you again next time. Um, okay, ne- next up. Yeah, next, ne- up. next victim, uh, Jared from Christchurch. G'day, mate. How's your cricket knowledge? 
G'day, guys. Uh, yeah, I, it's not too bad, but not as good as golf. Right, not as good as golf. Okay, well, golf's not an option. Although, uh, although I reckon you'd be struggling in Smithy and golf as well, just quietly. Uh, it is, it is a strong suit. Uh, but here you go. The third and final question, mate. Which Black Caps bowler took the most wickets in the first Test loss to England? Uh, was it uh, Tim Sally? One of the worst things I have uh, ever seen. Done on a Smithy, team. can you get two from two? Right. Well, it wasn't Bracewell. Clearly, um, it was not. It was not uh, Kugeline. It was not Tickner, which leaves the one, the only, the heart and soul, Neil Wagner. Did he get four chips down the wicket, right Ooh. in the slot, and away it goes. He took four in the first innings, two in the second innings, six for the match, Smithy. So well done. Two stumpings and one go, and we jackpot to hundred bucks on Friday. 100 bucks tomorrow, Craig. Uh, thanks very much, Jared, for taking part. Uh, excellent. Um, I think no you probably worries. would have got me on the golf. You'd have got me on the golf, but um, uh, Craig hey, had already yeah, picked the cricket. Hey, well, no worries. Hey, uh, it would have been nice to beat you fair and square this time, Smithy, but I always remember when I first came on uh, the show, first time for Stump Smithy, and uh, you beat me fair and square on golf, and uh, uh, being the, the, the great man you are, you decided, Jared. You're a good bugger. I'll give you the fifty dollars. I've never forgotten that, and uh, what a privilege! Thanks very much. Good on you, Jared. Um, I'll tell you what. I'd love to give you a hundred bucks. So uh, why don't you call tomorrow? And, uh, and if uh, you're lucky enough to get through, I'd love to take you on again, mate, of the subject of your choice. So uh, thank you very much for taking part this morning, and have a terrific day. Yeah, good Cheers, stuff, uh, Jared. Yeah, Jared from Christchurch. Uh, we had a text in to say, Smithy, uh, what was the tip KR gave you today, Ken Rutherford? It was Mobstar. Mobstar, okay? It is race seven at Kembla Grange. I'm looking at the Australian market, and the New Zealand market will be gov- uh, governed pretty closely by that. Uh, Mobstar is uh, horse number four. It is now currently paying in Australia $7.50 and $3.10. As uh, Chris Lee's trained horse, as uh, Ken said, be ridden by uh, Dylan Gibbons. It's former's... Um, one two eight in this particular uh, run of uh, its spell, well, one two eight. So uh, obviously had a mishap uh, at its last start, but um, it uh, is according to Ken a good thing. So there you go. Um, if you can get it at uh, around about the seven dollar mark or three for a place, you might be in clover. It is eleven forty one here on SENZ. Experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. And Smith, I thought I'd turn the tables and ask you a question, because you've been asking all the questions today, mate. Um, 
looking at that first test at Bay Oval and just how good the opening bowlers were, um, Anderson and Broad, I think they've got a combined age of about 76. Uh, Jimmy Anderson is the top-ranked bowler in the ICC rankings at the moment, and he's 40. Um, how's he doing it? Well, look, he's been well-managed, I, I think, uh, to be fair, um, in the last uh, two to three years. One of the things uh, the England cricket management have done is they've used his skills um, and they've managed his time and his workload quite well. So they don't see anyone too as that it's going to be very hard work for him uh, and it's going to be fruitless. Um, but they, they send him on, on um, tours where they really recognise that he'll be, it's not too arduous. And, um, you know, Brendan will make sure of that too in terms of practice. He won't be flogging him. Uh, you know, he'll just be saying, Jimmy, you bowl as many deliveries as you feel as if you want to do at practice. Uh, to get yourself in the mood that you think uh, the same would be in his preparation in the morning so uh, lightly managed uh, I think in terms of his workload uh, he will play in the Ashes at home there's no doubt about that and on the 30th of July he will turn 41 which is quite unbelievable when mm. you think about that 41 years of age uh, Jimmy Anderson um, is a, he's out of Burnley so uh, quite clearly he uh, supports a a reasonable football side, I think, is the championship side at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, uh, under, under Vincent Company, actually, he's managing them. He's yeah. doing all right, yeah. All right, Vincent Company, yeah. Uh, Jimmy made his debut, incidentally, back in 2003 against Zimbabwe. At that stage, they handed him cap number 613. Uh, he's playing alongside a bloke in this side called Harry Brook. Uh, he's test cap number 707. So in that time that Jimmy Anderson uh, was handed his first test cap to now... There have been 94 other players come and go for England. And it's, uh, you know, uh, that's nearly nine teams of players have come and gone in the time that Jimmy Anderson started. Think about that. Mull over that. Yeah, mate, that is, that is amazing. Uh, quick question for you then, uh, to follow that up. Um, I, you know, I think about guys like Jeff Allett, Shane Bond, you know, Kyle Jamison, even Adam Adam Milne uh, to, an ex- uh, to an extent as well. Um why do you think we seem to have problems with our fast bowlers breaking down? You've you got a guy like Jimmy Anderson and a guy like Stuart Broad going going like they are. Is that workload? Is it strength and conditioning? Uh, is it coaching? What do you think it is? Well, I come back to uh, how Richard Hadley had great longevity. Uh, Richard Hadley would never have played as long as he did if he continued to bowl um, as the original Richard Hadley did, off a long run, you know, charging in there and trying to bowl flat out all the time. He wouldn't have lasted as long as he did. And Jimmy Anderson's followed the same sort of model. Uh, he's cut down his run-up. Um, you know, he bowls shorter spells. Um, he bowls line and length. He doesn't bowl bounces unless he has to. So uh, he bowls with his brain, you know, uh, as opposed to uh, his brawn. And, and I, I think that's one of the reasons why he's, he's had that uh, longevity and will continue to play uh, for a little bit longer. Not too much longer, I wouldn't think. 178 test matches. I can't think of any fast bowler that's gone anywhere near that. To be perfectly honest, 194 One Day Internationals. Um, you know, so you know he was a good he was a good One Day bowler. But uh, in all sense, um, you know, it doesn't deal into the T20 situation. He's just uh, turned around and focused on what he does. Be 682 wickets at 25.94. The other thing that uh, helps with longevity is if you've got a partner at the other end, you can trust and who bowls well with you and for you. And I mean for you being a, a key word there. And he has got that in Stuart Broad. And, and, you know, we won't see them back in this country. We will not as a combo. Um, I doubt very much we might see either of them back here in terms of uh, bowling and test cricket. Uh, their careers um, will be um, uh, long gone, I think, by the time that that has, has, is going to happen. But 
uh, what we should do at the Basin Reserve and let's uh, all pray that the weather forecasters are wrong and we get the opportunity to see them in action. Just study them. Study them. Study line and length. As people used to study Southie and Bolt as a combination. Study them as a combo and watch how they bowl together and then they'll get complimented by the others around and the way that uh, Ben Stokes manages his resources. Uh, that's the key. That's the key, Ricardo, for me. And we've got to uh, perhaps learn some, learn some lessons there as we look to rebuild. And I mean that, rebuild and attack. We won't have Trent Bolt. We could have. We won't have him. We, I don't know how, if Kyle Jamieson will be back for a long period of time because back injuries for big, vast bowlers, you need surgery. It takes a long, long time to recoup from. Just ask Shane Bond. So I'm, I'm telling you, uh, what we've got is what we've got. Um, and so it, it's all about Matt Henry uh, to me and Tim Southey in that opening scenario. Whenever we bowl first, uh, probably with the forecast, we'll look to bowl first. That's a base and reserve sort of trait. So for all those people who've got tickets, seriously hope it's fine. Yeah, and and hope you own an umbrella. Um, I just did some quick maths on that. The amount of tests that you said that Jimmy Anderson played, if you say that he's that he's played five days each test and worked that mm. out, uh, that is two years and five months he's been playing test cricket. Day after day after day. After day. day after day after day. Staggering. Yeah. Absolutely staggering. Crazy I mean, numbers. And, you know... You know, we Lord Richard Hadley, absolutely Lord Richard Hadley, which we do. I mean, he's our man. He's our man, Richard Hadley. He played 86 tests. Compare that to 178 mm. tests, 178 at the same age. Incredible. Well, speaking of experience, um, that's coming up next on the show, and that is Mark Stafford coming through at 12 o'clock. We'll be back to talk to staff shortly.